Live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for the Exit Exchange. Brought to you by XPX Atlanta. Dedicated to changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the Southeast. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Exit Exchange. I'm John Ray, alongside David Shavzin and Bob Tanksley. Gentlemen, welcome back. Good morning, John. Good to have you. Yeah, absolutely. It's show number two. So we have a trend officially, right? So (laughs) yeah, here we go. And folks, just a quick reminder that the exit exchange is brought to you by XPX Atlanta and XPX Atlanta is where our area's best advisors meet and collaborate, share their expertise and build relationships so they can assemble the best teams to guide their business owner clients through all stages of business growth toward a better, more successful exit. Learn more at xpxatlanta.org. We are delighted to welcome an old friend of XPX, actually. Uh, Tom Smith uh, is with us. And Tom is... uh, does a lot of things, but one is he is a professor at uh, Emory University uh, uh, in finance, and Tom also has his own consulting firm, TMS Consulting. Tom Smith, welcome. Hey, thank you, John. Appreciate it, and thanks to David and Bob for having me on. Yeah, great to have you. So, uh, give a little bit of overview of you and. Uh, what what you do, some of your areas of expertise, and, and maybe also what you do at TMS Consulting. Sure. Well, I've, I've been at the Emory uh, Business School at Guizueta. I'm a professor in the practice of finance, and I'm an economist, so I have a PhD in economics. I teach in uh, just about every program that the business school offers, from undergrads to grads, evening MBA, executive MBAs. Um, I teach a core micro class, and I also teach some applied classes. I teach a class in sports finance and a class in film finance. Very, very important topic in Atlanta, actually, is, is film. Um, and so I've been doing that for about 12 years. I'm originally from Chicago, born and raised, native Chicagoan. So, um, you know, you guys were teasing me a little bit earlier about being a Cubs fan for life, but I can't help it, man. You gotta love the Cubbies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as a side, as a consultant, you know, I work with firms trying to answer problems and answer questions about what they see are problems in delivering goods to particular markets. Um, I do a lot of um, <clears throat> economic impact analysis, and I also do economic impact analysis for um, small cities major metropolitan areas, um, some countries actually, when they roll out new policies, trying to identify how a bill is likely to impact um, the state or a county or a city or what have you. So I, I do a lot of work with, with states, counties, but also larger businesses that try to identify you know, new policies and how they're likely to impact their markets. Wow, a lot there. Um <laughs> But let's let's talk maybe uh, about some big picture uh, 2020 and 2021 issues and then kind of winnow that down to how that affects uh, our professional services uh, uh, members. Uh, of course. Obviously, uh, a lot of things going on with the pandemic. You know, what are some of the big issues that you see 
uh, for 2021 uh, that we we've got to confront? Well, you know, we were I was just looking looking at the sort of the dates and actual calendar and you know, so I I moved my kid out of his college dorm um on March 15th of last year, right? And so just about, you know, 11 months ago, things were really getting bad in terms of the pandemic we had, you know, we were starting to do a shutdown. And that's also when the economy started to go sideways. When I, when I say sideways, I mean, you know, we saw huge drops, 20%, 25% drops in, in you know, major stock indices, but then also huge spikes in unemployment. Those spikes of unemployment reached, you know, in some, some of the places that, that you've got your, your clients and you've got your listeners, you know, maybe 11%, 12%, 15% in New Orleans. I mean, we got very, very bad, very, very quickly. Um, and then it was all about the recovery, clearly. And, you know, we've gone from, you know, something like 11 or 12% unemployment down to maybe six and a half, seven percent 7% employment, unemployment. Um, and that unemployment level has continued to be a little bit sticky. So there's still about 700 to 800,000 people are filing new unemployment claims every single week. So there's a huge part of our population that isn't employed. And even though we are adding jobs and we added some jobs, you know, at, at the beginning of last fall, the number of jobs that we're adding now has been really anemic, just, you know, a, a couple, maybe a hundred thousand jobs, but maybe we added 25,000 jobs in December. Maybe we added something like that in January. So getting people back employed is very, very tough. And I think that that's going to be sort of the main issue that we're facing going forward is getting people back into the workforce. Tom, quick question on that. Do you see um, jobs permanently going away in general and or in specific industries, um, either you know because of COVID and uh, employers realizing they can work with fewer or just categories going away or you know people staying home? <laughs> That's a very, very good observation, David. So I like to think about any kind of recession in context of other recessions because I like to look at trends. I like to see what, what worked and what didn't work. So in, in 2008, we had a very, very bad economic recession, the Great Recession. And the job recovery was very slow. It was like a dripping faucet, right? drip, 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 drip. And you know, years later, we were adding employment. And we were adding people back to the workforce, but it just took a long, long, long time. But there was definitely a trend that people were adding. During that time, businesses were saying, look, I'm, I got to fire five people, David. If I don't fire you, can you do the job of these other four? And you'd say, yeah, like I want to keep my job. And then you'd scramble and keep, you know, keep working. And eventually the firm would say, geez, like, why did I even need these other four people? Right. That is a, that is a threat. So we've seen it in the past where businesses say I can do the same with less, and maybe I can do a little bit less with less, or maybe I can do, I don't need everybody. So I end up employing the people who the highest performers. And I think businesses are going to be faced with that same kind of situation. So if they're scrambling around, they're figuring out how to make it work, and they're making it work with five employees instead of eight or eight employees instead of 20, then they're going to be very hard-pressed to bring back 
another worker, another worker, another worker, especially if they continue to see, let's say, decreased in market activity. So if they're not seeing an increase in their demand for their product, they're not inclined to pull the trigger and bring somebody back into the fold that they've let go. And so that's a concern. Okay. As far as uh, stimulus efforts that may come out of Washington, D.C., stimulus 2.0, 3.0, anything successive beyond what we've seen so far, um, are you seeing talk about targeted measures to uh, directed at small business that might be uh, beneficial to them starting in 2021? Yeah, well, the small business efforts, they were mixed in with actually bigger business efforts as well. All the the the, the PPP loans, right? And so I, I'm I'm sure that you know a lot of people who are engaged in this show um, had applied for the first round of of grants, received received grants. Now they're going through their repayment, or they got to you know submit something to say whether they're going to have their grant. You know those funds are going to be forgiven, and then there's a second round. And so my wife's small business is going through the second round right now, funding, trying to get funding. Um, so those those stimulus dollars are actually working pretty hard, and they're working pretty hard for small businesses. Um, the the kind of big stimulus that they're working out of Washington, they're talking about putting, you know, twelve hundred twenty two thousand dollars into the hands of of individuals, right, through families, through direct payments. Um, that's aimed at trying to increase demand for goods and services. And from a small business owner, you don't really care if you're getting it from, let's say, both sides. You're, you're saying like, um, okay, so I'm going to get some grants to allow me to keep working and people are going to get some money and they're going to want my services. That's great. Like you, you're fine having both of those dollars come at you. In terms of targets, um, it, it's not clear if the stimulus is going to say, okay, so let's give additional money for, let's say, restaurants or bars, or let's give additional money for um, you, whatever they are, service organizations. There, It's not clear that the stimulus is going to include anything like that. But as long as you're getting PPP money and you can actually get into the queue, you have a good financial institution that you're working with, then you know that's that doesn't need to be super targeted. It just needs to be available. Got it. Moving a little bit closer to home, um, Tom, Atlanta and or Georgia. Uh, what what kind of specific issues do you see here? You know, in our our economy, you know, the industries that are that are most prevalent here. So, uh, what I'm seeing is 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 it's there's really um, an impact that has different effects on different types of industries. I mean, thinking like, you know, big parts of Atlanta, remember we're home to Home Depot and we're home to Delta, right? This pandemic has not been kind to airlines and the airline industry at large. And so I am sure that there are, um, there are lots of flight attendants, lots of baggage handlers, lots of other logistics personnel, even pilots who have been furloughed or have had their, um, you know, their work decreased in some way, shape or form. Right. And at the same time, they've got Home Depot, which is going gangbusters. Like everybody's saying, if I got to stay home, I might as well, you know, fix that leaky window over there and let's, let's do maybe some paint and let's do, you know, let's redo the bathroom. I have two or three friends who are like, and that was the time we decided to redo the bathroom. We're here all the time. So, you know, we got to make this thing work for us. 
now you're talking about two different industries and one of them is being hurt and one of them is being helped by the pandemic and they're both in Atlanta. That's Atlanta for you, right? I mean, it's a very, very diverse uh, uh, population of, of businesses and the business community is, is very um, heterogeneous. Yeah. Lots of differences. I, I think that by and large, Atlanta has fared fairly well, at least relative to the 2008 recession where we took it on the chin. But I would say small businesses, the, probably the number one thing that is impacting small businesses is cash flow. Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Cash flow is king for a small business. And it's hitting everybody. So your demand for your product has been decreasing. Your your consumers, right? Your customers are slow paying. If they slow pay, then you end up slow paying your vendor. Well, the vendor is is another small business down the street. You know, sometimes literally. And so you're you're saying, okay, the only reason I'm delaying on you, Bob, is because, you know, Joe hasn't paid me. And I called Joe and I said, Joe, and they're like, Tom, the only reason that I'm paying you slow is because Sam hasn't paid me yet. Well, I mean, what that does is it just destroys your ability to plan, your ability to move forward. So really what I'm seeing is just super slow pay when it comes to paying vendors, paying forward. It just disrupts business plans so much. And it just, it's very, very difficult to fix that because it becomes systemic. You're doing it so somebody else does it and they're doing it because somebody else is doing it. Very, very hard problem to get around. Yeah. You mentioned, Tom, uh, you know, the the, um, difference between the Home Depot and the Delta, of course. So Home Depot people are staying home. What, you know, we've, We've got one client. The best year ever was 2020, 100% e-commerce. You know, so who? What are, what are the what are the other pandemic-proof uh, businesses uh, you're, that you're seeing out there that have been or are evolving? Um, actually, anybody who's you mentioned, anybody who's offering e-services, I think that if you're if you are able to keep people afloat calm them down, get them moving forward. Your business has probably been fairly successful. It's, I don't see a sort of a common thread other than people who are either very prepared or were very able to stop business as usual and start a different way of doing business without any kind of hiccup at all. Every other business I've had some kind of disruption but just because there's a disruption doesn't mean that you can't be successful during that disruption if people turn to you instead of something else. So yeah, I've been talking about the recovery here as being a K-shaped recovery. People often talk about U's or V's in the K. You notice, you know, like one part of it is going back up and one part of it is going back down. And so because of the nature of this disruption, some businesses have been able to fare it fairly well and they say yeah i mean i you know i saw a really low like you know last april and may you know sales were down but then since then it's just it's been pretty much like the previous year um so it's almost impossible to say oh you know colors a b or red blue and yellow all those companies have been hurt and you know orange, purple, and pink, all those companies have been helped. I don't think it's as simple as that. And that's, you you notice how complex this recovery is. I think businesses are equally as complex when it comes to how they've been impacted by the, by the recession. And I'm sorry, there's no like silver bullet that I can point to, but it's it's just not as, it's not as simple a, 
this this economic recession is not like other economic recessions because it's it's not about let's say fundamental business practices. Mm-hmm. It's about people being scared about not being able to do business as usual going out and so as a result of that it the recovery is not as simple as just saying okay you got to wipe all the assets of crap off of your balance sheet and get your balance sheet to look better you know that's the 2008 recession this is not that yeah well, we're pretty disappointed. We expected the silver bullet. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My crystal ball is uh, a little foggy this morning. So, <laughs> well, actually, we, you know, and to your point, you know, uh, well, what we've been saying, what I've been saying for a while is, if you had a fundamentally good business, if you were running your business well, you know, sort of all the fundamentals that we know, you had a much higher chance of surviving, regardless of the of the industry that you're in. Um, you know, some were just, I mean, you, if you're a restaurant, I mean, you know, there were, there were just real issues there, but, um, you know, cash flow plus, plus a well-run business, I think, um, are going to help that. The other, the other thing we saw, I don't know if you've got like data on, but, um, you know, with business transactions, um, you know, the, the vast majority of small businesses owners out there is a stunning number of the baby boomers who've been in business for 10 or 20, 30 years. Um, we're seeing a lot of them finally cry uncle. And and say, all right, I'm done. I'm tired. I want to sell. I don't know if you've seen data yet on that. You know, combination of COVID got hit up with it. Uh, whether they still were doing well and surviving or not, we're seeing a lot of them just saying, "Hey, I want to go and sell." Trying to come to terms. Yeah, so, yeah. I, you know, I haven't seen it. There's not as much data about okay, what are the what are the ages of principal owners of businesses that are transacting? I mean, I have not seen those data. What I what I have seen and what I've heard anecdotally, really, because it's much harder to track in a quantitative fashion, yeah. is that people who are much more flexible, businesses that are much more flexible, or people businesses that are run by people who were flexible to say, okay, I can't do it like this. I got to figure out another way to do it, and we're able to to do something quickly, have fared much better. That is, and. Even if you were at a bar or a restaurant, if you had some flexibility and you're saying, I'm willing to try new things, I'm willing to do it however it is needs to be done, then you've probably done better than your counterparts who have been more rigid in the way you do business. So you say, no, I'm not going to let this change the way I do business. I'm going to continue to do business in some other fashion, the way I've always done it. Being rigid during during this last 12 months, I don't think has is pay dividends for anybody right maybe anecdotally there'll be one or two people but i mean in general you know this you're only able to surf this thing if you can if you can be flexible yeah 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 well one example i'm thinking of that i just spoke with uh, an owner um and 2020 was devastating but they had already had three basically three businesses in one business so the diversity of of that of that income and that cash flow helped they still had to turn around, do a lot, move a lot of things online. But I, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I think sometimes where fundamentally the the, the business was solid, that plus that pivot um, to move online and and just in some cases just the stamina, and and uh, that kind of goes back to me, you know, to some of the uh, the age issues, the boomers that have been through 9/11, the recession, now COVID. You know, where they were stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. Are finally, we're seeing some of them finally say, "Okay, at least I'm going to start to think about how I get out 
um, you know, even if their business is still viable. So that's, that's been interesting. But I mean, think about it from their perspective. I I think that it's, it, they're probably doing what's best for them where they say, you know what, people are changing how they're transacting so rapidly that I have to have somebody at the helm who is at least tuned in to how, let's say a millennial or a Gen X or Gen Z, how it is that they're thinking about, does my business solve some problem for someone else, right? And if if I don't have that person who's, who's let's say, more tuned in at the helm, then it my business is going to fail sooner rather than later. So now it's time for me to either just, just jump out or, you know, if I've got a, a kid, a daughter or a son who can sort of jump in and they're a little bit more flexible or my kid's got a kid who's more flexible then you know, maybe I can pass it down to family. But if I don't have those, those resources at my disposal, then selling it is great. You're like, okay, I was able to weather this, but can I weather the next one? Do I want to weather the next one? It makes a lot of sense that you would see, you know, you'd see usually see your older clientele, um, decide to hang it up. So, so I hear that piece of advice basically being hiring a twelve-year-old to do your marketing. Is that what you're saying? You know, that's not a that's not a terrible idea. I mean, it's like, and the face is a terrible idea. But it's not a what's not a terrible idea is making sure that what you're delivering works for the group you're delivering. So, you know, John mentioned I'm a professor at Emory, right, and you know, I want to. I want to do make sure that I'm doing my craft well. What I do is, uh, you know, I have a bunch of TAs, and I ask my TAs constantly, you know, how I put my canvas together. Does it make sense to you? How I'm delivering my lectures? Is this what you would like? Would you like something different? Right? Okay. The examples I'm using. Do these resonate with you, or would you rather have? Would you like to see a different example? And if my students say, "Well, you know, Smith." If you did this this way, actually, I think people would like it better. Well, I mean, you're, they're the audience, right? They're my, not exactly my customers. I like to think of my students as inventory, right? They're the product that I'm developing. <laughs> but I mean, but in some some respects, people say, yeah, you, you know, the students are customers at a university, and it's I'm okay with with that in some ways. So you know, if my students tell me that they want these classes delivered in a certain way, or they want a certain kind of content or content delivered in a certain way, then it would be unwise for me to not take their advice and figure out how to shape it to their demand. And I think that that's the way that businesses have to start thinking about the service they're delivering. And that is, what do my customers really want? And being in touch with my customers. And so if it takes let's say grabbing one of your customers and saying, you know, what if I made you, I want to make you a product champion, right? I want to make you, you're the key, you're the customer I want. So you tell me, you know, I'm going to turn you into a consultant for a day, right? Here's a thousand bucks. Like you tell me if I'm give, doing this thing right. And you say like, what do your customers know about your business? Well, they know that they're buying the product that you're offering and they probably know other people who would buy the product that you're offering if you could, let's say fine tune your offerings to make better sense for them. So asking a 12 year old exactly, but I mean, you know, asking somebody who's tuned in, right. Mm -hmm. I don't mind asking my 13 year old, you know, what's the, you know, the best car to use in Mario Kart for a particular thing. 
because she's got better information about that. So yeah, and like you know, if you want to play Mario Kart, ask the thirteen-year-old. Absolutely. I'm sorry, Tom. What's Mario Kart? <laughs> no, right. You just don't have a. You don't have a. You don't have a Nintendo Switch, David. I can tell. So exactly. No, no. Uh, my my kids are too old. As young as they are, they're too old uh, uh, for all of that. But that you so that you know and that that to me moves us right to. Um, uh, what we ought to be doing all the time anyway, right? Sort of, you know, marketing, you always want to know what your audience wants. So in our case, our as, as uh, XPX Atlanta, our audience are our members and those about to be members, the professional advisors are on are across that whole spectrum. And yeah, I mean, it, it, they, I guess, you know, what you're saying is they need to be also figuring out in the changing world who their, who their customers and clients are and how to uh, engage with them the right way. Uh, um, as well as their clients, right? So there's there's the direct in those professional practices. They they, they do have to shift, uh, I think, over time, um, and then through them to their clients. So those small businesses. Uh, any any last thoughts on advice to these again these lower middle market companies moving forward? We've talked about cash flow. We've talked about you know sort of marketing and understanding the customer um, with the economy. What else? Um, over the next year, a couple of years coming out of COVID? Well, I, I think that for, you know, small companies, if they have employees, I think the really key aspect is to understand um, what's the best way to get the most productivity out of your employees. And if you're an, if you're an advisor and you're thinking, okay, I want to help companies do better, Think about their core operations and how the organization works with, you know, its factors of production, its employees, right? It's making sure that your employees are can actually do their job is critical. And sometimes that means offering flexibility. Sometimes that means offering additional resources to them. And so, I mean, I, you know, you're, I'm sure that your members, the, the, your XPX members include include a large number of people who are trying to advise other companies about how to do better business, right? If they take a stance and say, let's start looking at your operations, your internal operations, right? COVID be damned. And really, I mean, damn that virus. Yeah. But really like getting to the root of how you go about doing business, I think will and uncover whether or not there are inefficiencies inside of that organization. And I can got to believe that, that, you know, members of your group, people who are advising other companies would be, would be well served to start thinking about how do I look into an organization and evaluate whether they're running efficiently. That's going to be the key to being successful going forward they need to be able to you know, squeeze the most productivity out of their workers. They need to be able to get every inch of their market that they can, that they can grab. You're like, you know, your market is Atlanta. Why are you only getting customers from the Southeast part? Like, why aren't you looking downtown or why aren't you looking to the Northeast? Right. If your market is, you know, based on a, a cohort of people, right. You know, 18 to 29 year olds, are you actually covering 18 to 29 year olds? Are you getting your 29 year olds? Are you getting your 18 year olds? I mean, asking those kind of questions uh, is what's going to help solve problems. Businesses need to be flexible and they need to know how they're using their resources. From a person perspective, right? I have 
completely changed the way that I did business, right? And also from my teaching, I mean, I'm teaching primarily you know, 98%. I'm teaching from computer online. I do go to a classroom now um, since the beginning of this semester, but I don't have many students who are there yet. Um, being flexible has allowed me to be continue to be successful. So my classes are still filling up. I think my students are still learning. The other parts of my business, right, you know, there's a huge person-to-person human element that goes into every business. Um, and so still being a person and still being human, even though you're doing it virtually, is super huge. So if you don't have the emotional intelligence to be able to, you know, handle yourself online, like you're going to, you're, you're not being successful during this time. So I, I don't know. I know those, those, those pieces of advice, I know were a little bit scattered, but I, I think one of the main points I wanted to make was that you have to have people who are able to ask questions and look inside of the business operations, how they're actually doing business. No, no, no. That's a great answer, Tom. Uh, that fits in with my, one of my big picture ideas is sophisticated buyers of, of smaller businesses really want to have as many of the problems solved before they become the new owners as possible. So your, your advice is spot on. Yeah. And actually I think that that's a, I think that's a really good point. I, I mean, people, do, they want to make sure that the engine works right. And even if the engine doesn't work great, they would like to know why. So if you're buying a car and you say, what's wrong with this car? And you go like, I don't know, it works great. And you're like, you know, and I had a problem like getting it into third gear. And they're like, I don't know. I never had a problem. Well, that person's going to walk, walk away from that car sale. But if you say, this car's got great bones, uh, the transmission's a little scary, it'll get you from point A to point B. But just remember, like that third gear is a tough one. Okay. Well, I mean, those are the same problem, right? Third gear. But knowing that that's a problem is different than sort of like leaning over it and saying, no, we have no problem there. So if you go in and say, you know, you want to buy this business, okay, here's what's right about it, and here's what we just haven't been able to crack this nut, right? Okay, well, we've isolated the nut, like the nut's over here on this shelf, right? We haven't been able to figure out how to crack this nut, but you're smart. We know that you can, and the rest of everything is working okay. So you want to put that nut in the shelf, right, crack it later? That's great. But, I mean, you need to know that that thing is there on that shelf. The, the, yeah. the court. I was going to say the corollary too with all that is the well-run machine. We talked about cash flow earlier, which means um, improving profitability, improving cash, improving value. Therefore, too, I mean, all this goes towards value for that eventual sale, right? So, right, that's the that's the end game. You know, if someone's trying to maximize that that um, that sale, so uh, yeah, yeah, and I think that I think that people who are who are buying businesses right now or thinking about getting into a business or thinking about getting out of a business. Uh, one of the, one of the hiccups perhaps will be trying to ferret out, you know, earned revenue versus like PPP grant money <laughs> revenue. And so you look at the bottom line, you say, okay, so this is, this is the total revenue that I generated, or this is some kind of a net or EBITDA figure, whatever it is that you happen to be. And that might include, a hundred thousand dollar grant from from the government last year, right? And depending on how you, accountants are putting those numbers together, it might not be clear that that's unearned versus earned, right? So if you're just looking at, I mean, you know, you you got money in the bank and now you're you it's there, so you might not have a credit sales or a cash sales, but you've got money. So if you're just looking at it, some kind of a net income figure, 
you wouldn't be able to know that this person didn't make the sales and they actually got, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or $2 million grant from the, from the, from the government. I, I think when you're making, when you're actually transacting that business now, you're selling that business, you're going to make sure that you're asking that question. Like which one of these are credit sales, which one of these are grants, which one of these are unearned revenue, right? So how much money did you really make? Of course, if you're selling, you're like, why should you care? Like this is how much money we brought in last year. The government just substituted for a bunch of customers in the past. But I could imagine if people are saying, no, 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 no. I want to transact this thing at two and a half times earned revenue, then your business valuation might go down. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. New, new reality. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Tom, this has been great. Um, I would imagine after uh, uh, what you've had to say, there are going to be folks that want to get in touch with you. Uh, so let's give them a way to do that. Uh, how can they do that? Sure. Well, I mean, you send me, send me an email. I'm at tsmith at tmsconsultinginc.com. If it bounces back, you you left off the ink. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. If you just Google me, you know, Tom Smith, Emery, you'll find plenty of ways to get in touch with me. You can send me an email at my Emory address, tom.smith at emory.edu, or just, you know, send me a text or a phone call. My, you know, my phone number is 630-661-9731 and shoot me a text. Uh, the truth is that, um, you know, most of the, most of the, the customers that I work with, um, reach out to me directly because, uh, you know, they hear me on a show like this, or they read about me in a newspaper or heard me on some other radio show or what have you, or they, um, you know, they run across me through Emory connection or what have you. Um, so, you know, I don't have a big flashy website. It's just, um, it's me and, you know, a, a couple of, of analysts and, you know, some researchers and, you know, we just roll up our sleeves and get down to, down to business. So, you know, I mean, just find me on LinkedIn. I'm Thomas Moore Smith on LinkedIn. You can find me there. I'm on Twitter, Thomas Moore Smith on Twitter. Right. So, you know, and uh, T Smith at TMS consulting com. And you'll even take an old fashioned phone call. That's pretty good. Uh. Why not? Right. It's uh, you know, so here's it. I mean, I've got so many people in my Rolodex and, you know, they'll just shoot me a text to say, Tom, do you have, do you have a minute to talk? Uh, Tom, can we, you know, can I just call you? And, you know, I mean, just give me a call. I'm, I'm happy to talk with you. I and mean, the truth is that a lot of times problems can be worked out just by thinking about, um, you know, what's, what is the, at the core of the issue. And, you know, I'm happy to have phone calls with people and engage with them that way. I mean, it's, uh, you know, communication's good. We like communication. Sounds great. Tom Smith, uh, uh, with, uh, Emory university and his own consulting firm, TMS consulting Tom. Thanks again for being with us. Thanks Ray. And thanks Bob and David. I appreciate you guys yeah. uh, sitting in. Thanks so much. You bet. Thanks, uh, John. Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, just a reminder that, um, uh, this show is underwritten and brought to you by XPX Atlanta fundamentally changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the Southeast. David, Bob, another great show. Hey, thanks. Thanks, thanks for your time, John. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, folks, we look forward to doing this again next month. So please join us here on the exit exchange. <laughs>